0: Whenever I get gloomy with the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. General opinions starting to make out that we live in a world of hatred and greed. But I don't see that. Seems to me that love is everywhere. Often it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, old friends. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from the people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around.
1: Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? you think I'm especially not a genius?
2: Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime
1: store hood.
3: Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number three hundred and fifty-four. Love actually. And this is listener request number fifty-three, courtesy of Aaron, the first of many. <laughs> Coming <laughs> yeah, up from really. Aaron. And,
4: and nothing quite represents the holiday season, like people's relationships just being ripped apart. just <laughs> the I do feel like love is... Well, there's some new relationships being put together. I know, but if this movie teaches us anything, it's not heading anywhere good. (laughs) Should be called Love Stinks, folks. (laughs) No, it's actually become a
3: modern Christmas classic, of which there are a few. I guess Elf and The Holiday would maybe fit in with that, but there's not many. Most of the classic Christmas stuff is a little older, and this one has worked its way in. I know a lot of people love it. I happen to see it in the theater, which is crazy that I'm that old to have seen a 20-year-old movie in the theater. I don't know. I'm just I getting like
4: really depressed. There was a time period where this movie was working its way into other movies and yeah. TV shows in a way that, like, characters would be like, "Oh yeah, I have a secret. I actually really like Love Actually," and people would be like, "No, everyone likes it." This it became a, well, it became a movie that guys would admit that they like. Yeah, it. yeah, right. Yeah,
3: I think. Women, it was always pretty popular. Anyway, before we dive into love, actually, let's remind everyone to follow the show on X slash Twitter, at Greatest Pod. I'm starting to think that our posts, is that what they're called? Not tweets anymore. Posts are being hidden. You know how you can see the engagement numbers? Doesn't seem like the tweets are even getting a lot of views anymore. We're not worthy. Well, we didn't ever do the verified
4: route, so we're being shadow banned. (laughs) Should we just start an Instagram handle? No. Okay.
3: We barely post anything on the other stuff. Yeah.
4: I don't want more stuff to have to think about. Well, we could get rid of one, like Letterboxd. (laughs) Like co-hosts. Yeah. (laughs) In addition
3: to X, you can reach us via email, greatestpod at gmail.com. We'll be reading an email At the end of the show, there's any number of things you could email us about. Questions, comments, concerns. We'd also love to hear from those of you who have done listener requests. You can tell us about them. Tell us why you chose the movie, what your relationship is with it, those kind of things. And even though no one has been beating down our door yet about it, we are also taking a few sentence reviews on any new movies you happen to see, whether that be in the theater or on streaming or anything like that. We're pretty flexible with the emails. The people have spoken. No interest. Doesn't seem like there's a lot of interest to be review correspondence for us. If you'd like a free sticker, you can let us know. We'll send that out to you. Maybe new merch coming sometime. I'd
4: really like to get my arms around that. We sort of let 2023 slip right by because, folks, typically we would
3: give you a Christmas Day episode. It didn't happen. We're not even recording this until the day after. This is going to be our last episode of 2023. Uh-huh. And we're not going to record until New Year's Day. There won't be anything coming New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, but I don't
4: really feel that bad about it because we went nuts this year, a lot of yeah. episodes, so whatever. And some people that work on the show are suffering from burnout. And that's okay. It's it's a time to recover. We're going to head into the new year refreshed, feeling ready to take on the world. I think there's going to be a much more casual pace in 2024. Good. Yeah. We tried this, I'm not really sure it did anything for us. Well, there's just so many topics we want to cover. That's true. That's a big motivating factor. We did have a lot of engagement this year too. Yeah. I know I think you're yeah downplaying
3: well, how the popular reasons. the show is.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> it's Joe Rogan then us. Right. <laughs> We're right there. We have firmly passed the Rewatchables. Is there anything
3: else that we need to say? We're not doing letterbox no. anymore. Listener requests. I thought we'd get past it, but shut up. (laughs) This is what they need to hear. Okay. When the clock strikes midnight Eastern Standard Time in the United States, that is the end of the $50 deadline. It also is the end of us doing two per month. So a lot of the months, not a lot, a few of the months next year did not get two filled in, so we will drop off some of the available slots. I think at this point, we will be dropping down to just two, which is fine. Yeah. And then next year, once we cross into the new calendar year, they will be $100. However, you have until that deadline to get your requests in, greatestpod at gmail.com or hit us up on X. Let us know. If you do not finalize this deal before the new year, then we're bumping up the price and there won't be that many left. And then eventually... If those do get filled, I will make that announcement, and then we won't be taking any new listener requests, at least until the very end of next year, as we maybe plan for the next year, assuming we're still doing the show. But I'm basically saying that would be the end for the foreseeable future with listener
4: requests. The window is going to slam shut, so get them in.
3: Yeah, and if none come in, that's fine, too. But I just want to let everyone know, because I already can kind of tell how this is going to play out, where somebody's going to ask at some point next year. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna feel a little depressed about it, but
4: and I do feel bad for new listeners who maybe won't know. Someone's gonna download this episode six months from now. Yeah, and too bad. Well, as long as we're still doing the show, we
3: might do them in 2025 as well, but the price will be higher. This is the end of this price forever. Anyway, let's get into Aaron's listener request. Love Actually, 2003, written and directed by Richard Curtis. This was his directorial debut, actually, but he was a well-established writer by this point having written four weddings and a funeral and right. notting hill and a million other things the budget of the film was 40 million the box office was 248.3 million making this wow a massive success i definitely remember it being a huge hit and it's a familiar refrain on this show but
4: just seems like the type of movie that would never come out now or let alone be a huge hit yeah I don't even have a memory of this coming out it was at a weird time in my life though it was 2003 right yeah yeah it was right after I moved you know not a lot of friends not a lot of people to talk about movies with in a
3: 2017 interview published in Empire magazine writer and director Richard Curtis recounts that Universal Pictures chairman Stacy Snyder told him that this movie would make 50 million dollars less at the box office if he kept all of the nude scenes in. But Curtis felt that as a teenager, he only went to the movies to see some nudity, and he didn't want to let his younger self down. Well, you gotta love the commitment. Yeah, that's one of the things that's really shocking about this movie is how much nudity is
4: in it. It is weirdly crude for like what you would expect a typical romantic comedy. Most of the nudity is played for humor. Yes. With the
3: exception of one scene, but... There is a lot of it, and yeah, it's a little rougher around the edges than you would think based on the title and the people who are in it right? and who it seems to be marketed towards. And even just the overall feel of it. Yeah. I appreciated the edginess, which has definitely been missing. So if you have not already seen Love Actually or would like to rewatch it for the purposes of listening to this podcast- As of right now, today, it is streaming for free on Netflix, though
4: it is leaving at the end of the year, which is only a few more days. I know. I'm sure it will be somewhere else, but- They really play with your anxiety, having to put that leaving soon (laughs) It's so big on a little square. (laughs) I guess they felt like
3: they got enough complaints of people saying, I was in the middle of something and didn't know.
4: I understand that.
3: But it is sort of distracting. Love Actually features an all-star ensemble cast, many of whom had appeared in other Richard Curtis-related film and television projects. Mostly filmed on location in London, the screenplay delves into different aspects of Love as shown through ten separate stories involving a variety of individuals, many of whom are shown to be interlinked as the plot progresses. The story begins five weeks before Christmas and is played out in a weekly countdown until the holiday,
4: followed by an epilogue that takes place one month later. It is an interesting tactic. You kind of normally expect these things to be the days leading up to Christmas, maybe a week or two, five weeks. I guess they wanted to have enough time for some of these things to
3: seem even remotely believable. Yeah. Learning how to play the drums, learning how to speak
4: Portuguese. What's this movie that's filming nude scenes over the course of five weeks? (laughs) What a shooting schedule. Yeah, I w- wouldn't imagine there would be so many body doubles
3: going on for porn. Right. Which is what it seems like they're filming because it's endless. Yeah. Anyway, before we get into it, I thought it might be fun to just say which of the stories is your favorite. So let's start with you. Which of the many stories featured in this film do you latch on to the most? I
4: like the Colin Firth one. I, you could probably say it's a, a male fantasy. thats I'm going to go live in a foreign country for a while with someone who doesn't speak the same language as me, and I just hang out and we fall in love. It's like the easiest thing ever.
3: Yeah, it is a little reminiscent of Bottle Rocket. I would say that the one thing that prevents this movie from being an A+, plus and is only really an A for me, because I do like it a lot. Yeah, I was laughing a lot. I think it's really funny and charming, but I don't think it needs to be two hours and 15 minutes. I know that's a familiar refrain on the show, but I would say that with an anthology, you're really maxing us out with this many stories. Uh, There's a lot happening here. And
4: some of them, you don't care when they pay off. Yeah, a couple of the smaller ones
3: probably could go, although I do love the the Rockstar one, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. Even though I think there could be a lot more to it. And I, I think that's actually like a really sweet and valuable story, but there's there's not enough character development there. But anyway, anyway, my favorite yeah. of the
4: stories is the Hugh Grant story, where yeah, he's yeah. the new prime minister. It's hard not to like Hugh Grant in this movie. He just seems endlessly likable. But what I was gonna
3: say was I think that Hugh Grant and Colin Firth's performances are very similar. I think a lot of the characters end up feeling very similar because it's a lot of waiting to be able to just say the right thing. And I get that that's the theme of the movie, but then you end up with characters that are reacting the same way a lot of the times to things. And it's always funny when they're beating themselves up because they feel like they said the wrong thing or they feel stupid or whatever. But Laura Linney's character is also sort of in that same position. For sure. and, And... Liam Neeson's son. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of people waiting to say the thing, and sometimes those performances felt a little similar. Yeah, because Colin Firth and Hugh Grant are sort of doing the same thing, totally, just in different circumstances.
4: And no one really uh, falls on their face. You know, it sort of works out for everybody. The More Andrew or Lincoln less, I would say Alan Rickman, maybe. That's true, but even that doesn't it kind of leave off kind of hopeful. Well, we'll talk about that. Okay. There's
3: a specific nugget of information to go with that. I I see. Is it left out of the movie? Yeah, it's more addressing after the fact. Okay. I think in a way, though, what Curtis does here is sort of a harbinger of things to come, shorter attention spans, almost like similarly themed and loosely connected stories, It reminds me much more of our modern TV consumption, which is what a lot of people are used to now because of streaming, the stories running together. It feels less like a movie sometimes and just a bunch of interconnected stories, which is its own form of movie, but you don't have that intense, in-depth examination of any one particular
4: character or event or anything like that. As a rule, speaking in generalities about myself, I don't normally love anthology movies. It's yeah. not something that I generally think about when I think about like my favorite movies. There are exceptions, right? But it's certainly not something that I'm like, oh, I wish they made more anthology movies. Yeah, I think they work best for horror. Yeah, like a creep show too. Yeah,
3: well, creep show is probably the most famous yeah. or one of the most famous ones. But Twilight Zone the movie or whatever,
4: body bags or something. What's that one that John Carpenter did? Is that an anthology? I've never seen it. I think so. Yeah. Well, there's trick or treat. Oh which yeah, I, right. We may eventually mm-hmm. do at some point.
3: The film actually only received a 64% from critics, which is surprising because this movie felt like such a big deal and and very well liked and was super popular. But when you do go back, I think I can kind of tell why. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I also believe standards were way way higher for movie reviews. If I guess this that's movie true, came yeah. out now, you would be hearing about it as if it was the greatest film ever made. It would have a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. It would be nominated and potentially win Best Picture. I'm not joking. I actually think the standards are so different now. That is true. Everything is worshipped this day and age with reviews, it's insane. It's bizarre. I feel like critics are just trying to justify their own paychecks. They want to act like everything's a big deal so they can keep their job. Like, oh, people care about movies. Movies are great. Please go see them. Please act (laughs) like it's a big deal. Please don't understand the the truth. Yeah, Yeah, the truth is most of these movie theaters are probably going to close. My newspaper doesn't even want to pay someone to cover movies or my little website pays me $25 an article or something. I think it's a lot of falsely propping up this industry. Well, for sure. <laughs> As if it's really churning out a lot of quality when it's clearly not. But if you go back to 20 years ago when Love actually came out, I think you could find a lot of movies in that 60 to 70% range, which if they came out now would be almost 100% yeah. considered amazing. And just standards are way different. Initially, Curtis started writing with two distinct and separate films in mind, each featuring expanded versions of what would eventually become storylines in Love Actually, those featuring Hugh Grant and Colin Firth. There you go. All right. That's why they feel like the main stories, I guess. He changed tack, however, having become frustrated with the process, partly inspired by the films of Robert Altman, as well as films such as Pulp Fiction and inspired by Curtis Having become more interested in writing a film about love and what love sort of means, he had the idea of creating an ensemble film. The film initially did not have any sort of Christmas theme, although Curtis's penchant for such films eventually caused him to write it as one. Curtis's original concept for the film included 14 different scenarios, but four of them were cut Two having been filmed. We'll touch on at least one of them later. The scene in which Colin attempts to chat up the female caterer at the wedding appeared in drafts of the screenplay for Four Weddings and a Funeral, but was cut from the final version. The music video for Billy Mac's song, Christmas is All Around, is a tribute to Robert Palmer's 1986 video, Addicted to Love. They rushed the film out to be ready for Christmas 2003. The editing process was sort of a nightmare. Curtis has complained about it. But I think they ended up pulling
4: it off pretty well. I imagine the editing process for something like this would be pretty tough.
3: A voiceover opens the film commenting that whenever the narrator gets gloomy about the state of the world, he thinks of the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport and the pure and uncomplicated love of lovers, friends, and families welcoming their loved ones. He also points out that the messages from the 9-11 victims were messages of love and not hate. The story then switches among the interconnecting love stories. Of many people.
4: That is a weird note at the beginning of this. Now, I recognize that this was pretty fresh. You know, you're only two years removed, (laughs) but it seems weird. It probably seemed a lot less weird then. Yeah. But there
3: was an era where 9 11 was a part of a lot of things, even when it didn't really seem like it should be. This is a movie set in London that doesn't really seem to have anything
4: to do with America, really. I guess just such a significant world event, but.
3: Yeah, I know, and I'm not saying no, that 9/11 only affected America, but it just seems such a stretch to include it, but whatever. Yeah, I know. It's an era. It really
4: time stamps where we're at. Right. It is weird to include it and then at the end of the movie there's this big sequence of sneaking past security at an airport. <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be funny if they just
3: shot that oh, kid. Gosh. <laughs> That's how it ends. Right. <laughs> The airport greeting footage at the beginning and end of the movie is real. Writer-director Richard Curtis had a team of cameramen film at Heathrow Airport for a week, and whenever they saw something that would fit in, they asked the people involved for permission to use the footage. Hugh Grant is the one doing the narration. He had appeared, obviously, in a couple of other of Curtis's films. He really just seemed like he was always playing a version of this guy. I do agree with that. And... He did one thing, he did it really well. For whatever reason, (laughs) oddly, he was kind of most notorious for getting busted with a prostitute, which was Hmm. really strange.
4: I know. Well, he does have charm.
3: Yeah. And he no longer really plays this part anymore. I guess he feels like he's too old to do romantic comedies. But I would say that the movie feels like a lot of the other people are modeling themselves after him. Oh, yeah, he's the uh, archetype. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the guiding light of a lot of what's going on right. in the movie. <laughs> We're going to take a similar approach to the, what we did with the big short. We're going to break this up into little segments because there are so many stories and it jumps back and forth, but sometimes you'll only be on a story for 30 seconds or a minute and a half, something like that, and then you're jumping to four other things before you come back to it, and then you're on to yeah. that story for a minute or two, and then... So it's just easier to do them one at a time, give our thoughts and opinions on each of them.
4: I feel like if we tried to do this in a linear way, we would be giving people ADD. Yeah, there's no way. And this is definitely one of those movies
3: that it would work so much better for you if you have familiarity with it, if you've seen it.
4: Because there's so many people in it, so many characters, it's hard to keep it all straight. And I I do try to do a better job of knowing the character names, but in this instance, You're gonna hear a lot of actor names. Yeah, that's fine.
3: I do think that we're gonna focus more on some of the stories than others, but that's mostly down to just going insane while trying to write all of these notes. But some of them, there's not a ton to say once you've described what's happening. You can kind of give your general thoughts. Mm-hmm. We're gonna start with David, played by Hugh Grant, the newly elected Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. He brings all of the usual Hugh Grant awkwardness to the position. Basically, on day one, David is introduced to members of his household staff, including Natalie, who is new to her job and also very nervous. She accidentally swears in front of David, which only serves to endear her to him. Natalie is played by Martine McCutcheon. As I said, this is my favorite Of the stories, I just really found their chemistry to be fun. There is a lot of problematic things in this
4: movie. (laughs) Of course, yeah. And there's
3: a big one in this story, and we'll get to it in a minute. It's very weird. Yeah. It's not so off-putting, though, where it really ruins anything, but that's just because everyone in the movie treats it like it's completely fine, including Natalie, which is so weird. I know. There are things in it that, are so ludicrous that you can't help but laugh because it's so over
4: the top even her own parents are in on it like everyone <laughs> yeah. seems to be in on this it seems like she'd be having some serious mental issues as a result of all the like body shaming that's going on in the world around her <laughs> but she's a trooper about it it's, it's it's completely bizarre but uh yeah we talked off mic how this feels like the main story and I do feel that way like even though there's some big set pieces at the end. I feel like this whole thing with the song and them on stage, that feels like the main climactic moment.
3: Yeah. I think realistically there's probably a couple of these, at least two or three that are considered the main. But yeah, I started with this one because it feels like it has a lot of screen time and I liked it a lot. So that's where I wanted to go with it. It's four weeks until Christmas and the U.S. president is set to arrive in England there's a lot in this movie about the UK US relations. It's sort of hard to go back twenty years and try to get into the mindset of what was yeah, going on. True. But we'll do our best when we get there. You can tell pretty quickly. Because each of these stories within the anthology are shorter when you take their whole runtime. Yep. They don't waste any time. You know, That David is smitten right away he's already making the faces making the comments to himself like oh no
4: and it is actually great because this is one of those things that can totally come off as sleazy but because of the way Hugh Grant is there's such a charm the nervousness well that plays
3: into the Billy Bob Thornton character and who he's sort of based on and that whole thing yeah because I think in 2023, you're not even going to get away with this at all. This storyline can't even be in it. Right. You cannot have somebody with this much power. Totally. Entering into a physical relationship with someone. Now, that's part of the staff. I think there are circumstances where any two people could potentially fall in love. Uh, yeah. Because I think it's unfair to not only him or and her, but just it, it, people in general to be like, you can't fall in love with certain people. That's so strange. So. I don't know what the proper way to handle something like that is. I don't think they really do anything improper in this film because it basically takes the whole runtime for them to even get together. Of course. But yeah, I would say that this is one you couldn't even, unless you were making it about power dynamics, like that was the whole thing of the movie. You couldn't even just casually throw this into a story right. now. He's way too powerful.
0: Ah, Natalie. Sir? Natalie! Um, I'm starting to feel uh, uncomfortable about us working in such close proximity every day and me knowing so little about you, it seems, uh, seems elitist and wrong.
2: Well, it's not much to know.
0: Well, um, where do you live, for instance?
2: Wandsworth, the dodgy end.
0: Ah, my sister lives in Wandsworth. Oh. Huh.
2: Yeah.
0: So which exactly is the dodgy end?
2: Right at the end of the High Street, Harris Street, near the Queen's Ed.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, that is dodgy. <laughs> um, and, uh, you live with your husband, uh, boyfriend? Three illegitimate but charming children?
2: No, I've, um, I've just split up with my boyfriend, actually, so I'm back with my mum and dad for a while.
0: Ah. Oh. Sorry.
2: No, it's fine. I'm well shot of him. He said I was getting fat. I beg your pardon? He said no one's going to fancy a girl with thighs the size of big tree trunks. Not a nice guy, actually. In the end.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, um... Being Prime Minister, I could just have him murdered.
2: <laughs> Thank you, sir. I'll think about it.
0: Do. The SAS are absolutely charming. Ruthless, trained killers are just a phone call away. Oh, God. You have this kind of problem? Yeah, of course you did, you saucy mings.
3: Billy Bob Thornton plays the unnamed US president Always a great cursor. (laughs) He calls Natalie a a pretty son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Which
4: is unbelievable. I know, you gotta love the American president just being this crass douche. And then the British Prime Minister is like, such a great guy.
3: Billy Bob Thornton accepted the part without reading the script. He was just so flattered by the accompanying letter asking him to be in the film (laughs) that he just was like, all right. During a meeting with the U.S. president, David and he pass Natalie, prompting the president to make some inappropriate remarks about her. Later, David walks in on Natalie, serving tea and biscuits to the president, and it appears that something untoward is happening. Mm -hmm. Natalie seems embarrassed, and the president looks like the cat who caught the canary. Of course. So this president is a hybrid of George W. Bush and Bill Clinton sort of an amalgam of the American steamrollers having their way with, of course, the British lawmakers. I love that this movie just glosses over the political specifics. Like, you don't know what the fuck oh, they're talking about. what they're about. arguing about, yeah. doesn't <laughs> even matter. Because who cares? Yeah, I know. It doesn't make any difference. I guess that Billy Bob Thornton is terrified of antiques in real life, and Hugh Grant would sneak antiques onto the set and just flash them to him okay. right before antiques I know yeah
4: it's a really he could be on like Mari Povich I mean I feel you could make arguments as to whether something is an antique or not I think there is sort of an official
3: way of categorizing antiques but I don't really know what that is (laughs) I don't know what would actually scare him or not but I've heard that before I think it came up a little bit in the sling blade research from earlier this year but it didn't really factor into that I was just
4: thinking Billy Bob Thornton gets the letter to do this movie he's just like I'll do it but I'm doing it as sling blade (laughs)
3: <laughs> well I think they would revoke that <laughs> invitation probably <laughs> I don't think he was that crucial At the following joint press conference David is uncharacteristically assertive While taking a stand against the president's Intimidation techniques oh, yeah. Thunderous applause Yeah and within the movie it works as David standing up for both Britain and Natalie yeah. Simultaneously Telling America to go screw A speech given by Grant in this movie, this one, where he extols the virtues of Great Britain and refuses to cave to the pressure of its longstanding ally, the United States, was etched in the transatlantic memory as a satirical, wishful statement on the concurrent relationship with George W. Bush. Tony Blair responded by saying in 2005, I know there's a bit of us that would like me to do a Hugh Grant in Love Actually and Tell America Where to Get Off, But the difference between a good film and real life is that in real life there's the next day, the next year, the next lifetime to contemplate the ruinous consequences of easy applause. Following Tony Blair's resignation as Prime Minister, pundits and speculators commented on potential anti-American shift in Gordon Brown's cabinet as a, quote, love-actually moment. Referring to the scene in which Grant's character stands up to the U.S. president in 2009 during Barack Obama's first visit, To the UK, Chris Matthews referred to the president in Love Actually as an example of George W. Bush and other former presidents' bullying of European allies. Commenting on this mediates John Burchard described the U.S. president character as a sleazy Bill Clinton-George W. Bush hybrid, which is what I saw as well. In the scene in question, the swaggering president bullies the prime minister and then sexually harasses a member of the household staff. In September 2013, David Cameron made a speech in reply to Russia's comment that Britain was a small, insignificant country, which drew comparisons with Hugh Grant's speech during the film. So it has become a thing in British politics (laughs) to reference this. Wow. You're pulling a love actually out there. (laughs) That means something different to me. (laughs) Yeah, it's being a creep with handmade signs (laughs) at your friend's wife. Oh, gosh.
4: (laughs) It's filming your friend's wife the entire time. I don't think I'd ever be able to pull off an operation like that. Like, I'd have the cards, like, all out of order, dropping them on the floor.
3: Yeah, knowing your luck, it would say, say it's Christmas carolers, and then she would say, it's Christmas carolers, and then the guy would say, oh, great, and then just immediately come (laughs) down and be like, what the fuck is going on? Let me see these signs. (laughs) (laughs) No, wait,
4: you were supposed to stay up there. That would be, like, a good give us a second, though, for the podcast. (laughs)
3: Give us a second. Number 58. Matt has been murdered.
4: <laughs> True crime pod now. It's scotch.
2: Alam. I'll, um, I'll be going then.
5: Uh, Natalie, I hope to see much more of you as our two great countries work toward a better future.
2: Thank you, sir.
0: Ah, yes, Peter. Uh, Mr. President, uh, has it been a good visit?
5: Very satisfactory, indeed. We uh, got what we came for, and our special
0: relationship is still very special. And, Prime Minister? I love that word, relationship. covers all manner of sins, doesn't it? I fear that this has become a bad relationship. A relationship based on the President taking exactly what he wants, and casually ignoring all those things that really matter to, um... Britain. We may be a small country, but we're a great one, too. The country of Shakespeare, Churchill, The Beatles, Sean Connery, Harry Potter. <laughs> David Beckham's right foot. David Beckham's left foot, come And a friend who bullies us is no longer a friend. And since bullies only respond to strength, now onward, I will be prepared to be much stronger. And the president should be prepared for that.
3: In the aftermath, David is celebrating and he does that big dance sequence, which I guess Grant hated doing and didn't feel like his character
4: would actually do it. I think it would be uncomfortable to film something like this.
3: I agree that his character wouldn't actually do it, but that is within the lighthearted tone of this movie. That's what separates movies that people forget versus movies that become classics that they want to rewatch year after year at Christmas. I'm not saying everyone's like, oh, the Hugh Grant dance scene is so great, but you remember these little moments. Oh, for sure. They're goofy. They appeal to different age ranges. Like, oh, maybe your 80-year-old grandmother would like this part versus your- 12-year-old cousin or whatever. I don't know. It's and, just
4: one of those yeah. things that makes it fun and lighthearted. And nothing better than someone getting caught doing something embarrassing and having to play it off like nothing was out of the ordinary. So then he asks that other member of his staff about Natalie. and she This said, is a
3: crazy scene. She co- refers to her as chubby. <laughs> what does she say? Big ass or yeah. enormous ass. Huge thighs, she says. at one. This is insane. She's I just know. volunteering it. I just wrote, whoa. Whoa. <laughs>
4: And then I had some
3: feelings there. I had a weird thought. Yeah. Were they trying to go for a Monica Lewinsky (sighs) lookalike?
4: That's hard to say, but. This would have been at least five
3: years or so after that, maybe more, but still. Because then you have the Billy Bob Thornton character being Clinton esque.
4: Yeah. I don't know.
3: Look, I don't want to talk about women's bodies in any weird way but i see this martine mccutcheon in this movie and i'm thinking she's gorgeous stunning i know it's like so hot and then they're (laughs) talking about her in this insane way i know you're like what is going on
4: oh boy well it was still that time period before this was before meg the stallion hot girl summer (laughs) people weren't
3: embracing
4: just people weren't admitting out loud how
3: much we enjoyed a big ass (laughs) We all were, but it just wasn't being
4: said. But you know, like uh, the '90s and stuff with these rail-thin models. It, I don't yeah. know. It was just. Well, this a, was 2003. I, that's <laughs> that. Yeah, but it's still the aftermath of that era.
3: Feeling uncomfortable around Natalie, David ultimately has her move to another position. However, he is spurred to action on Christmas Eve when he discovers a Christmas card from her in his red box, declaring that she is his and only his. It was a pretty bold move on her part because since the movie jumps around to different characters, it seems like a ton of time has passed. You're not really sure. You're kind of forgetting how things are left off from one story to another. They never really show how she responds to being unceremoniously moved to another department. I would take that as, oh, he doesn't like me at all. But she's just like, well, I'm going to send him a letter saying I love him. It
4: does seem harsh. And you do think that more should come of this.
3: At least her misinterpreting it or something. Just have a little scene in there. Nothing
4: to even do with a romantic connection. Oh, he must think I'm terrible at my job. Yeah, true. Oh. (laughs) What was that? Just terrible.
3: David finds her after a door-to-door search of her entire street. Her family is on their way to a multi-school Christmas play, and he offers to drive them so he can talk to her. Even her own dad called her chubby. It's a hard. What was it Chubs or Chubby? Yeah. I can't remember <laughs> I what he said. Uh, Their it's... family does seem fun though, because she's screaming. Where the fuck is my fucking? There's like little grandmas, yeah, there are blue, little children. Right. Yeah,
4: <laughs> sort of a wild scene to be walking into. But it is weird, uh, like how everyone is talking about this woman's weight and her body. What, what planet are you people living on? Well, first of all, it's inaccurate, but second of all, even if it was accurate,
3: why would you not that everyone is talking about this? As Natalie sneaks him into the school, he runs into his heartbroken sister Karen, played by Emma Thompson, who believes he is there for his niece and nephew. As David and Natalie try to keep from being seen and watch from backstage, they finally kiss. The curtain then rises and everyone in the auditorium sees.
4: By the way, a little revealing that he's not actually there for his Niece and nephew, you know. What do you mean, revealing about him? his character a little bit? I think
3: he's the fucking prime minister in some stupid
4: school play. <laughs> <I> <laughs> I'm not it. the
3: prime minister. I would never go to this for my nephew. There was nothing zero, nothing chance. worse
4: than sitting through like any sort of little kid performance. I'm sorry, everybody <laughs> know. knows it. Like, everybody hates it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't do this much detail for all of the stories, but this one. I also dug in a little bit deeper. We're going to move on to David's aforementioned sister, Karen, and her husband, Harry, and then Harry gets mixed up with his secretary, Mia. Karen, as I said, is played by Emma Thompson. She's David's sister. She's a stay-at-home mom married to Harry, played by Alan Rickman, the managing director of a design agency. So speaking of weird shit about women's bodies... Oh, right. Emma Thompson wears a fat suit in this.
4: That's unbelievable. Because
3: they didn't think she looked heavy enough. It's like, could we enough with the women and their bodies? It's I know, so and so crazy. She still looks normal to me. I know, like, but I guess maybe she looked way too skinny. Yeah, I, I don't know. Who knows? One of the first things we see from this story, though, is their little daughter getting cast in the nativity as a lobster, which is a very funny scene. There's a somewhat viral video. Okay. of a british mom and son and the son is saying that he got cast in the nativity and he's this innocent little boy and he's so excited and he's like I got one of the classic parts and the mom's trying to guess what it is and eventually she's like you're just going to have to tell me what it is and he's like I'm door holder number 3 I'm going to be holding doors and he's like so excited and she plays along like she's she's like oh that's awesome okay. that's amazing but like it's exactly like this scene wow. and this movie came out way before this. I don't feel like this this video is fake at all. Mm-hmm. It feels very real. I guess maybe they do nativity plays in England more or something. So this is something that just comes up because there's obviously not enough characters or something. Okay, but yeah, it was just it was very weird. Yeah, and I'm gonna include both clips there for all right, comparison because the Perfect. the short viral one. They're actually both very short. I think they talk about the lobster for like a second, but I don't know.
2: We've been given our parts in the nativity play, <gasps> and I'm the lobster. The lobster? Yeah. In the nativity play? Yeah, birth lobster. There was more than one lobster present at the birth of Jesus. Duh. Guess what I am for the nativity? I'm a classic one. Classic role, is it? Classic part? Yeah. Um, Joseph? No. Uh, one of the three wise men? No. What are the innkeepers? No. Think up Press um catch button to answer. Call rejected. But it's a classic part. Yeah. Okay. Um you tell me then cuz I'm door holder number 3 I'll be holding doors. That's amazing. Holding doors for who? Um probably um Joseph and Mary. Oh my gosh, were you pleased when they said that? Yeah. What and you, what did you do? And I was like I'm a door holder, get in there, let's go, yes. Wow. And, and, and maybe because there's no room, I'll probably be just there, be like just coming in and then I'll just slam, them in, slam the door in their face. <laughs> Is that your style role? I'll probably, maybe. I'll probably be dressed up as a door. I don't think you're going to be a door. You think you're going to be a door holder? No, I'll have to wear like brown. Really? Yeah, probably. Excellent!
3: That's wow. Well, that's really smart, Milo. <laughs> so their daughter's playing a lobster in the nativity, and Karen <laughs> says, "Oh, because she's like I'm lobster. I'm the first lobster. There was more than one lobster present at the birth <laughs> of Christ." While Karen and Harry may have two children, it does seem like their marriage may not be impervious to sabotage. Mia, played by Haika. Makesh, Uh, no idea, I'm sure that's completely butchered and I apologize, that probably won't be the only name that I mess up, is Harry's young and beautiful secretary, she flirts with him outrageously in the lead up to their
4: big Christmas party at work. She has like a familiar look to me, but yeah, I definitely don't recognize that name. Her IMDb picture looks a lot different from this
3: particular look, so I don't know that she always looked like this. There's really no mistaking what she's doing though. It's pretty <laughs> Not a lot of mystery here. Obvious. No. At one point she's just kind of spreading her legs apart in a seductive way, staring in his eyes. Yeah, I mean they're like they're saying things like it's all for you later. Rickman in this movie is sort of strange. He plays this befuddled guy. He seems actually
4: pretty nice. I think you're supposed to get that he is a good guy. Generally speaking, (laughs) he's sort of like Keanu Reeves and Knock Knock. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Mia even specifically asks for a Christmas present. And then at the aforementioned company Christmas party at a gallery, Harry and Mia dance closely while she's once again whispering things into his ear, telling him what's up. The modern esque music for 2003, it was that Justin Timberlake song or whatever it's a club-esque setting seeing Rickman in that setting with those glasses and just being this kind of middle-aged dork is always funny oh totally yeah well I did have here let's assess Harry a little bit yeah he talks to Laura Linney's character who also works in the office and he's like trying to help her out yeah he sees that she's a little bit Reclusive. I. They. It never gets into a whole thing where Harry knows about her personal life or right, whatever's right. going on with her. But he can sense that she has a crush on this other guy in the office, and he's trying to push her in that direction in a fun way.
4: Yeah, they have a work relationship, but there's definitely a friendship there. After the Christmas party, Karen says to Harry,
3: "Mia's very pretty because she saw them interacting and uh-huh. dancing." Yeah. And Harry says, "Is she?" Well, dude, you're done. As soon as you said that, now I don't know exactly how to answer that, but it isn't is she, because then
4: it's so obvious that you're denying
3: a fact.
4: By the way, do you think women in relationships just are casually mentioning another woman's attractiveness just for the hell of it? Yeah, that you were dancing with all night. (laughs) Who is your secretary that you see every day? Right.
3: (laughs) While Christmas shopping, Harry gives in and calls Mia asking what she wants for Christmas. But then the shocking reveal of that is he has left the office to go Christmas shopping with Karen. Of course. So he has called Mia
4: literally seconds
3: before Karen
4: walks up. Yeah, I guess he's got it bad. It is weird the way this all plays out. This whole story, because it's unclear what actually happens between the two of them, at least for what you see on screen. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. I guess you're supposed to take it as this is showing that he's crossed a line. What happens with this whole Yeah, jewelry. well, I think that he definitely does. I think that's what the movie tells you, but they definitely tell you without showing you.
3: Harry is almost caught red-handed purchasing a necklace with a gold heart pendant from the jewelry department when the salesman, Rufus, played by Rowan Atkinson, takes an inordinate amount of time to wrap it. Yeah. We went through something similar <laughs> at a truck stop. <laughs> Back Holy when we were hell, yeah. around the time we were recording the all that jazz episode when we were out in the country, we were at a truck stop and our friend who we were with was buying a wind chime. Uh, yeah. And then the person was going to wrap it and it was taking an hour. I had to just like, like walk
4: away from it was like too uncomfortable for me to stand there and watch it <laughs> unfold. And someone just disappeared to a back room never to reemerge.
3: Yeah. And then it ultimately was never wrapped and we just left. It was a whole production for nothing.
4: Yeah, Richard Curtis was involved with all the Mr. Bean stuff. I think he wrote a lot of it, so okay. that's why Rowan Atkinson Makes this movie. sense. I'm not an expert on women's jewelry. This necklace seems like it stinks. Yeah. It seems so lame. I think that was probably a very specific
3: style that didn't last, and now it looks really strange. Okay. That's my guess. Yeah. But I don't even really remember that being in style. I just assume that that's- something that came and went
4: I even though this scene is goofy there is stuff in it that makes me laugh just that this is going on and on it's like rickman- candy and cinnamon <laughs> yeah. and some holly. holly yeah but- the way rickman is reacting to it is pretty great he's definitely one of those actors that you're just like i, I can't believe he's dead i know well later rufus reappears we'll-, we'll talk about that in a second
3: thankfully they didn't go the supernatural route that they briefly considered with his character, which would have been horrible, I think, and maybe would have ruined it. Maybe not if they would have done it very subtly, but definitely would have been kind of dumb. Later, Karen finds the necklace in Harry's coat pocket and assumes it's for her. Excited. Yeah, because it seems like they've hit a rut. Yeah. You don't get a sense that they've had huge problems, but there's enough context clues where she mentions getting the scarf every year Mm Mm-hmm. He seems to be so disinterested in the not Johnny a lot Mitchell of romance and, going on. Yeah. yeah, they've hit a really rough patch. That's why he's probably tempted by Mia, and then whenever she thinks that there's a little spark coming for Christmas, and then doesn't get it, it's it, it's an extra sucker punch.
4: Yeah, this movie feels lighthearted through a lot of it. I think that her not getting that gift and getting the Joni, like you feel the heart sinking when she goes into the other room to cry by herself. I do think that that scene is like a real gut punch. Opening a similarly shaped box on Christmas Eve, she's heartbroken to find
3: it is a Joni Mitchell CD, realizes he bought the necklace for someone else, and cries in their bedroom alone. She keeps a happy face so as not to ruin her family's holiday.
4: I will say, though, I'd much rather have the Joni Mitchell CD. I think that's a far better gift. I was not a big fan of this version of both sides now.
3: Uh, I agree with that, yeah. Because I think Both Sides Now is like one of the great songs. Totally. And then this version was like, ugh. It was closer to the emotion, I guess, that was on screen. But still, it use a completely different song then. Yeah, don't use a good. shitty I, Yeah, I don't that.
4: think this is a good fit. Two great songs on this soundtrack. One is the Billy Mac song. The other is the Dido song. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Which Dido song? Is I on?
4: can't plays It plays with, like, in one of the Andrew Lincoln scenes when she leaves after discovering that horrifying video for wedding day karen confronts harry and asks what he would do if he were
3: her she feels he has made a mockery of their marriage and of her harry comes clean and admits that he has been foolish and that just sort of wraps it up and so to go along with what you've been trying to get to for many years after this movie's release viewers have argued about whether harry actually cheated on his wife karen with his coworker Mia. In December 2015, Emma Freud, who was the movie's script editor and is the life partner of writer and director Richard Curtis, confirmed on her Twitter account that it was indeed a full-fledged sexual affair and not just an inappropriate but non-physical flirtation, as some viewers assumed it was. Freud also confirmed that Karen and Harry stayed married after Karen discovered the affair, but home isn't as happy as it once was, she said. (laughs)
4: Okay. Well, that's even sort of weirder. A
3: lot of people stay married after affairs. No,
4: I know, but you either move on, though, or you don't.
3: Well, I think it would have a lasting impact, which is, I think, why a lot of people do end the marriage. Yeah. It's hard to forgive and forget. Right. Now we're going to condense some of these down. I don't want to turn this into some insane marathon where we spend 30 minutes on each of these stories. Not that that's what we've been doing so far, but there are still so many more things to get through. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go through them in no particular order and we'll give our thoughts on all of them as we go. The first one is the least important just to close the loop on Rufus. Rufus is the jewelry salesman whose meticulous gift wrapping nearly results in Karen seeing Harry buying a necklace for Mia And then in another scene, it will be his distraction of airport staff, which will enable a young boy to tell a young girl that he loves her. Oh! In the director and cast commentary, it is revealed that Rufus was originally supposed to be a Christmas angel, but this was dropped from the final script. I don't really think you need that. And then if you do- Agreed,
4: but if he is a Christmas angel, I don't think he's playing his part very well in that jewelry store scene. Well, maybe the point of that was to try to stop him from
3: buying it in the first
4: place. True.
3: but he just keeps taking the bait then. I feel like if you're going to make him a Christmas angel, then you have to commit to putting him in more of the stories. And I don't really
4: want that. Otherwise, I don't know the point of just having him in two. I agree that it's the right move not to go that direction.
3: Now it's just funny to see him a second time and to have a similar scenario where he's doing something annoying and right. it leads to something, you know. Because then it's just a coincidence that's funny for the audience. It's not as if he's infused throughout. I'm with you. Next, we might as well get to that young boy, Sam. Daniel, Sam, Joanna, and even Carol. will throw her in the mix. Daniel's played by Liam Neeson. He's actually the stepfather of this kid, who I that's guess has weird. no biological parents left. Sam, played by Thomas Brody
4: Sangster, who also played Jojen Reed from Game of Thrones. That's true. Very recognizable now. I did think that that's a weird detail, that he's not this kid's real dad. Yeah.
3: I don't really know how that factors into anything. Yeah. I think you could accomplish the same story exactly. Totally. I guess it makes him seem like an even better guy that he's committed now to this kid that he really doesn't have anything to do with other than true getting involved with his mother. But Joanna is played by Olivia Olsen and Carol, who will show up at the end, is played by Claudia Schiffer in a cameo. How about that? And she was paid three hundred thousand dollars for a one minute cameo. I love her was being it, in this though.
4: Was it always Claudia Schiffer in the script as the joke? I, I don't know. Yeah. Or did they make it that because they got her?
3: Probably that. Yeah. But I don't know. Daniel is Karen's close friend. In fact, there's some scenes of Daniel and Karen together where Karen sort of is his shoulder to cry on. Although she does it in a very tough, no-nonsense, ballsy kind of way. That even some of the things she says now, you probably wouldn't even be able to put yeah, in this. Yeah, Every story has a little bit of
4: that non-PC stuff in it that I love. Well, it is weird. It's not like this movie is taking place three months after she died. We see the funeral. I couldn't really tell what that was. Is that a flashback? Oh, okay. I was thinking that that was happening. Well, yeah,
3: it could have been, but it seemed weird
4: that like days later, this woman is. It also felt
3: weird that like no one was crying at her funeral. I agree with that too.
4: Yeah, it does seem very. I mean, I know they're joking and they're trying to make it fun on purpose because of her wishes, but it is weird. Yeah. People weren't that broken up about it.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Daniel's mourning the recent death of his wife, Joanna, as he tries to care for his stepson, Sam. If you've noticed, Joanna is the name of both Olivia Olsen's character, who is the love interest of Sam, and his deceased mother, which is kind of a, a weird thing. Yeah, totally. I get that they were going for something sweet there, but it, I was also kind of like, that's weird. I don't know if I like it. Yeah. Sam has fallen for an American classmate also named Joanna, and after talking with his stepfather, decides to learn the drums in order to accompany her in the big finale for their school's Christmas pageant at Karen and Harry's Children's School.
4: I can't imagine having a kid and having that kid say, I want to learn drums. Just an awful...
3: I would have been like, can we try the guitar? Maybe yeah, really, instead? something
4: with like a volume knob? <laughs> Sam feels he's missed his chance
3: to impress her, but Daniel convinces him to try and tell Joanna how he feels at the airport before she r- returns to the U.S. So there's a moment on stage. Olivia Olson, for those of you who don't know, is the voice of Marceline on Adventure Time, which I found to be very strange because I got into Adventure Time probably mm-hmm. in like 2016 or something. And as I was getting into it, Marceline was my favorite character. And then of I read that, oh, she was the little girl singing in love actually but i hadn't seen love actually since the theater so it was a weird thing to even connect in my head i definitely didn't place her by her voice she actually was too good of a singer and sounded too adult and they had to go back and edit some of it to make oh, it sound really? more childlike wow. okay
4: surprised I did, they got that hung up on that detail
3: i did think that sam's comment about her everyone worships her because she's heaven <laughs> wow it's <laughs> like wow
4: that's great. <laughs> well, you remember what it was like when you were a kid. <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> when I was a kid. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, God. So instead of being able to impress her during the the song, because it does seem like it goes well, right? Mm-hmm. He's hitting it. She's great. She's like an incredible singer. The crowd's loving oh, it. Oh, my gosh, yeah. She's singing All I Want for Christmas is You, the Mariah Carey song. The first time that she hits the big finale, like the... All I want is you at the end. Uh-huh. She turns around and points at Sam on the drums for an extended period of time, which he just completely melts. This is the moment he's been waiting for. Head explodes. But then there's that added part of the song where it's like, and you, and you. And then she's like pointing to other people. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you can, his face, he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> he starts destroying the stage,
4: <laughs> busts out the front of that bass drum. But
3: his dad is like, all right, well, how about we just chase her to the airport because that's completely normal behavior. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I'm trying to imagine a scenario where my dad would be like, yeah, let's follow this girl. Let's really make a scene. And it gets worse. Sam slips through airport security, which is definitely possible post 9 11, and catches up with her. She acknowledges him by name, which surprises him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It is like such a long sequence, too, to get to this. Sam returns to Daniel to tell him but Joanna has followed him surprising him again and kisses him on the cheek. Meanwhile Daniel meets Carol the mother of one of Sam's schoolmates who was played by Claudia Schiffer who he referenced by name multiple times at his wife's two, funeral yeah. saying that's like the only way he would get out there and date again. Now right. th- it's not supposed to be Claudia Schiffer as herself but it's just the joke that she's playing this mother. I was kind of thinking that out of all of the stories, this one's a little bit of a bummer, though, because he gets this girl to kiss him on the cheek. He's in love with her. Of course. But she's still leaving. I know. I this was thinking is four that too. years before Facebook. So I don't know how you're going to stay connected to this, yeah, this girl is at just all. The end.
4: I guess you'd have this story to tell for, I don't know, some period of time. But Yeah, it's
3: brutal, though. How many yeah. times is he going to be allowed to call her? It's an expensive call back then. How does one go on living? That's a good point. I thought that there was a moment where she hands him something. I was thinking he got those digits, but I don't think that actually happens. I was trying to will that to be happening. <laughs> I'm like, how are they going to stay in touch? So, what's it going to do with that anyway? Do they have email addresses? I guess people had email addresses in 03, but kids their age. Hotmail, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't have a hotmail right <laughs> now. <laughs> Originally, he was supposed to be a gymnast. And that was supposed to play into him doing a bunch of like flips through the security and stuff. And thankfully, they kind of got rid of all that. They were like, there is
4: no way this girl will be into him. Well, it was just another thing. Okay, he's going to learn drums and be a gymnast. I do find it unbelievable that this movie takes place in a five week period and he learns how to play. He was playing very basic.
3: And I think that that actor, his dad is a drummer. He might even be a professional musician. I couldn't remember who it was, but. He had never played drums before, but I think he is playing it in the movie, and he's playing very basic. It is simple, but yeah, between that and Colin Firth learning Portuguese, a lot was going on during this stretch. (laughs) And
4: Colin Firth must learn Portuguese in like three days, because we already have a whole period of time where he's in France or whatever.
3: We're going to save Juliet, Peter, Mark and the wedding, but Peter and Juliet's wedding does serve as the connection point for several of the stories, including Sarah- who is a character at the wedding. She's played by Laura Linney. Her section of the movie is one that could probably be cut out, although I love Laura Linney. Same here. I think she's good in the movie. I just don't really know that this goes anywhere, and it seems like mostly a bummer, and I get that not all of the stories are supposed to be happy, but I don't know. This just doesn't feel like there's enough there, which I think is a common complaint across a few of them. There's a great idea here for something, but it's not fleshed out enough. Yeah, and it
4: doesn't really pay off.
3: Well, by pay off you mean just have something. A satisfactory ending. It just seems like she's not going to be
4: able to Yeah. But it feels like it just peters out.
3: You know? Sarah first appears at Juliet and Peter's wedding sitting next to her friend Jamie, an American working at Harry's graphic design company. She is in love with the creative director at the company named Carl. Prompted by Harry, they finally connect at that Christmas party, and Carl drives her home. Even Karen, Harry's wife, seemed to know. They were all pushing her That's right, yeah. to get with Carl. Michael, her mentally ill brother, telephones from a psychiatric hospital, aborting their tryst, and we have seen him call now several times. It seems to be this thing. perpetual
4: burden in her life. It does seem awful and this horrible thing to have to carry, but... You do sort of side with Carl in the scene of, well, look, is you answering the phone again going to change the situation at all?
3: No, and Laura Linney has said that she wished that her character didn't answer the phone Mm -hmm. that one time, but that really, I guess, wasn't the point. Right. On Christmas Eve, they are both working late. Carl tries to find the words, but just wishes her a Merry Christmas and leaves. In tears, Sarah calls Michael and visits him to give him a Christmas gift. When casting the part of Sarah... Writer and director Richard Curtis auditioned a great many British girls, but kept saying, I want someone like Laura Linney. (laughs) The casting director eventually snapped and said, oh, for fuck's sake, get Laura Linney then. Linney then auditioned and got the part. (laughs) She was flying back and forth between London and Boston several times, as she was also filming Mystic River at the same time. Wow. Two different movies tonally. (laughs) (laughs) That brings us to... Matt's favorite of the stories, is Jamie yeah. and Aurelia, played by Colin Firth and Lucia Monez.
4: Well, I really like where we launch off with the Colin Firth character. Just a great way to get involved in somebody's life. It's like the beginning of Body Double. <laughs> yeah. Except even
3: worse, though, because it's his own brother. Writer Jamie is pushed by his girlfriend to attend Juliet and Peter's wedding alone as she is ill. Originally, his girlfriend was supposed to be Mia? Ooh, okay. I think, but maybe they thought that was just too much, a yeah. bridge too far to connect the, all of these a little bit. Plus, then you have to explain that Mia has a boyfriend, but she's also trying to hook up with her boss, and then that gets weird. It's just easier to keep Mia as a more one-dimensional Agree. character, I, I think that's
4: the better choice.
3: He returns before the reception to check on her, discovering she is having sex with his brother.
4: Yeah, pretty brutal, too. Not just the actual fact of what happens, but the things that she's announcing.
3: Out to his brother. Crushed, Jamie withdraws to his French cottage where he meets Portuguese housekeeper Aurelia. Yeah,
4: this is one of those wah moments. It's like, oh, boohoo! I have to go to my French cottage where I'm, you know, waited on hand and foot by a beautiful woman. Does she wait on him? Kind of. She's picking up stuff around him. Okay. Yeah, I may have missed the specifics as to what she was exactly doing. She's like the housekeeper or whatever, but she's constantly doing things around the house while he's there. The big thing is, though, that she doesn't speak English.
3: He doesn't speak Portuguese. But despite not sharing a common language, a mutual attraction grows between them. Jamie returns to England, realizes he is in love with Aurelia, and begins learning Portuguese. Much like Sam learning the drums, this doesn't take very long at all. Although... They are smart enough to make it so that the yeah, subtitles, the words aren't always making right. sense, and it's kind of crazy what he's saying. He returns to France to find her and ends up walking through town with her father and sister gathering additional people as they walk to her waitressing job. I feel kind of bad for Aurelia's sister. She
4: takes basically just as, as much abuse yeah, as there's Natalie. Definitely, uh, it, again, with the body shaming.
3: Yeah, and they make it so that even she's making comments about right. her sister being skinny yeah. and different things. It's so weird. I don't know. I get that it's more the tone of the culture was just way different. I'm not accusing Richard Curtis of being a misogynist or anything like that. It's just more of how yeah, the that's world was. how it was. But it is weird how much fixation there is about women's weight For in this sure. movie. <laughs> and you know me. I'm not. Overly PC. I'm not demanding everything. Yeah, I would not accuse you of that. No, but it is a lot. (laughs) Yes, in basic and often grammatically incorrect Portuguese, he declares his love for her and proposes. She says yes in broken English, showing she too had been studying his language,
4: which is nice. Just
3: in case, as the crowd erupts in applause. Yeah, it's a very nice moment. Now,
4: do you think this relationship is heading towards divorce? It does seem like. You're rushing into something with someone that you... And I get that there's this unspoken connection.
3: I don't know. Wouldn't it be great if you and Lindsay didn't speak the same language?
4: Yeah. You know, it would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's just like everything else. like the key to a good marriage is two rooms, two TVs. Two languages. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you
3: go. The lake in which... Lucia Manez and Colin Firth are swimming was actually only 18 inches deep.
4: Oh, yeah. And they
3: had to kneel down and pretend to be in deeper water. Wow. It was also overrun by mosquitoes, and Colin Firth was badly bitten, and his elbow swelled up to the size of an avocado. Yikes. Requiring medical attention. Yeah. They had a 45-minute meeting amongst some of the crew and the director to determine the color of Aurelia's underwear really which i guess they settled on light blue because wow. once i read that i was like well what color were her underwear yeah i, I would it became a whole thing of they didn't want her to seem a certain way but then they were like well it can't be white because then they might be see through and then it i don't know yeah who knows what okay. they were thinking interesting
4: uh yeah a little bit of like a wonder boys moment here with his opus <laughs> going <Yeah>. into the <laughs> monaga halo river believe it or not we still have so many more of these stories to get through all right
3: well let's Colin and it. the American Girls. Colin is played by an actor named Chris Marshall.
4: This one is absurd. Totally. It's straight comedy. I it, made a joke at the beginning about the Colin Firth story being like this male fantasy. What is this? This would put pornos to shame for how absurd this becomes. Yeah. And I think intentionally so. Obviously only played for laughs. And
3: it's very brief. It and, doesn't take up much time.
4: This guy, this character is like such a loser. And it's like this thing where like the loser hits the jackpot, I guess.
3: Unsuccessfully attempting to woo various English women, including Mia and Nancy. <laughs> I know, I remember him saying to Mia, future wife. Okay. Juliet and Peter's wedding caterer, Colin Frissel informs his friend Tony that he plans to go to the U.S., convinced that his Britishness will be an asset. Landing in Milwaukee, Colin meets Stacy... Jeannie and Carol Ann, three stunningly attractive women who instantly fall in love for his accent, inviting him to stay at their home where they are joined by their roommate, Harriet. Of course, the specifics of this are they all have to sleep in the same bed and are all naked and everything else. And The yeah, three women are moving. Ivana Milosevic, hmm. who you would remember from Seinfeld oh. being the tennis pro's girlfriend that he offers to Jerry. <laughs> She's not American, January Jones. Wow, is American. Yep, Alicia Cuthbert also not American. She's Canadian. Right, those are the three girls, and then Harriet turns out to be Shannon Elizabeth, and then her sister ends up being Denise, Denise Richards. Richards. <laughs> this is all little jokes at the end of the movie, right. but I was like, did I take over? What a casting at one
4: point. yeah, I was like, did you immediately start looking at how to move to Milwaukee? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's going on? <laughs> yeah.
6: Can I help you? Yes. I'd like a Budweiser, please. King of beers. Bud coming up.
2: Oh, my God. Are you from England? Yes. Oh, that is so cute. Hi, I'm Stacy. <laughs> Jeannie? Yeah? This is...
6: Colin. Bristol.
2: Cute name. Jeannie. He's from England?
6: Yep. Basildon.
2: Oh. Oh. Wait till Carol Ann gets here. She's crazy about English guys. Uh-huh. Hey, girls. Carol Ann, come meet Colin. He's from England. Step aside, ladies. This one's on me. Hey, gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny! (laughs) What do you call that? Uh, bottle. 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 (laughs) What about this?
6: Uh, straw. Straw! What about
2: this? Uh, table. Table. Same. Same. Where are you staying?
6: I don't actually know. I guess I'll just check into a motel like they do in the movies.
2: (laughs) Oh my God, oh my God, that is so cute. (laughs) No, 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 listen. (laughs) This may be a bit pushy because we just met you, but why don't you come back and sleep at our place? Yeah. Yeah.
6: Uh, well, I mean, you know, it's not too much of an inconvenience.
2: Hell no. (sighs) But there's one problem. What? Well, we're not the richest of girls, Mm -hmm. you know, so we just have a little bed, and no couch. Oh. So you'd have to share with all three of us. And on this cold, cold night, it's going to be crowded and sweaty and stuff. Yeah. And we can't even afford pajamas. Mm-hmm. Which means we would be naked.
6: No, no, I think it'll be fine. Good.
2: Great. The <laughs> um, thing that's going to make it more crowded? Oh, Harriet. Oh, you Harriet haven't met Harriet. Oh,
6: There's a fourth one. Yeah. yeah.
2: Don't worry, you're totally going to like her, because she is the sexy one. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah.
6: Wow. <laughs> yeah. Praise the Lord.
3: And <laughs> he's a Christian. <laughs>
6: Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.
3: Yeah, they picked Milwaukee because to people who don't live in America, sometimes they always hear about the same places. New York, L.A., sometimes Chicago, whatever. Yeah. And the other places sound very exotic because they don't know anything about them. They're just words.
4: Wisconsin is like our Norwich.
3: (laughs) Well, the only difference is I don't think there's anyone in America who's thinking (laughs) Norwich sounds appealing. (laughs) But if you don't know anything about Milwaukee... And you just look at those letters. It it does seem like, I don't know, it might conjure up all kinds of different things. Yeah. Because what is that? It just looks weird. The scene where Colin accidentally insults the caterer's food to her face, as I said, was a part of Four Weddings and a Funeral. That was actually Hugh Grant's character was supposed to say it. But then that was cut out. There's been a funny anecdote that Chris Marshall returned his paycheck because of the scene where the three American girls undress him. He said he had such a great time having the three girls there for 21 takes that he was willing to do it for free, and thus returned his check for that, which I thought was kind of crazy because I, I was thinking they don't even show it. I know it's just a silhouette. But then I saw that that he later said that that was not a true thing. Oh, okay. I imagine they may have filmed other things sure. in there that they just decided not to use. I didn't. I don't have this on Blu-ray, so That's I don't know true. if there's deleted scenes available. Let's do John and Judy equally as quick. Martin Freeman and Joanna Page. This segment is generally removed in the U.S. on TV because there's a lot of nudity. nudity in it. Their job was a source of confusion for many viewers. The characters are actually lighting doubles for a film shoot, so their job is to place themselves in the positions that the film stars will later be in so that the lighting and camera crews can arrange the lights and focus the cameras for specific scenes without bothering the actual stars for the hours it can take to prepare to shoot a scene. Lighting doubles, unlike body doubles or stunt doubles, do not appear in the actual film, but they do need to have the same coloring and basic size as the actor for whom they are doubling.
4: Apparently they actually need to get nude if there's gonna be a nude scene in the movie. Well, if they need to see where those nipples are gonna be. Yeah, that's true. Hence Jack's comment
3: about doubling for Brad Pitt, even though their faces do not look much alike. Martin Freeman and Pitt have similar hair and skin tones. Well, I guess if they're lighting skin tones and there's going to be available skin, I don't know. All right. It does seem like they're doing the lighting doubling on a
4: porno. (laughs) Yeah. I can't really explain what they're doing. They're naked a lot. Right. I do think this whole thing is funny. The idea of meeting someone under these circumstances I don't think you need this for the movie. You could cut this whole thing out.
3: Yeah, this is definitely one of the cuttable ones. I appreciate having the nudity in it. That's fun. And it is funny. For sure. Because they're very nervous, and he's nervous about asking her out on a date, even though they are literally naked. She's like nude
4: straddling him. She's
3: she's basically hovering over his face naked. He's putting his genitals near her face naked. Yeah. And yet they're still acting like, they don't want to be too forward. <laughs> <laughs> there are legitimate laughs, but yes, you could cut this out. They're stand-ins for films. They meet doing the sex scenes for a film in which Tony, who is Colin's friend, the one who tries to talk him out of going to America, he's a production assistant. John tells Judy, it's lovely to find someone I can actually chat to. While they are perfectly comfortable being naked and simulating sex on set, they are shy and tentative offset. They carefully pursue a relationship, attending the Christmas pageant involving David and Natalie, Harry and Karen's children, Daniel and Sam, etc. Yeah, why were they at the pageant? It had something to do with John's brother. Okay, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess they just wanted something to do as like a very safe first date. I think the that joke that would not be like, my choice. They're naked in front of each other, but they're very shy, conservative, quiet. They don't know what to do. They're not going to go out and party. Yeah. They get engaged by the end of the film. How about a movie, though? They're in a movie all the time. (laughs) They're working on movies. Next up, we're going to do Billy Mac and Joe, played by Bill Nighy and Gregor Fisher.
4: Which this is really the story that the movie opens on, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah.
3: With his longtime manager Joe, rock and roll legend Billy Mac records a Christmas version of the Trogs' 1967 song Love Is All Around, titling it Christmas Is All Around. Although believing the record is terrible, Mac promotes the release in the hope it will become the Christmas number one single, which it does. And he is right that it's terrible. He foregoes a victory party hosted by Elton John to celebrate Christmas with Joe getting drunk and watching porn. This is actually a very sweet story, and it focuses on something that's underserved in film, which is long-term male friendship where you finally say what has been unsaid for all the years, and you open up about how much this person really means to Mm. you, even though their relationship isn't a traditional friendship even. Right. It's a business relationship that has become so close this would be incredible, I think, especially with these two actors, if you could give more time to it. Yeah. All you really see is Billy Mack called Joe fat a few times and I think call him ugly. But it's <laughs> even that is all done kind of playfully. Yeah. Everything Billy Mac says seems playful. So Joe isn't some hard-done-by guy who's crying at home by himself. No. He would pick up his relationship with Billy Mac the next day after Christmas as if it's fine. But it is sweet that his friend knows he's alone for Christmas, comes over, they have the connection. I just wish there was a little bit more there. I know they were actually originally considering a real rock star hmm. rather than bill nighy but they realized that an actual rock star was probably going to have all kinds of weird demands for the the script and want sure. to change yeah. things or whatever and i think it's better that bill Nye really isn't like a great singer no I it know. makes it funny
4: yeah i feel it in my fingers <laughs>
3: As I mentioned, his little video is definitely an homage to the Robert Palmer music videos. I loved that scene where he's being interviewed for the radio station, and the prior DJ is completely burying him and (laughs) and the song. I love the fact they're playing that song on their station, and then he's like, that was terrible. (laughs) Well, his career's in the toilet. Oh, wait, he's on the next show. (laughs) That was straight Alan Partridge level stuff. Yeah, for sure because then he's in there being interviewed and then it seems like that's the moment where Billy Mac decides that he's just gonna become the Bullworth Mm, of rock and roll. He's not gonna give a shit anymore and just completely go out there. He starts saying the song is terrible. He starts openly saying, I "I just wanna be number one.
4: (laughs) And it totally works. That was the Christmas effort but the once great Billy Mac.
0: Oh dear me, how are the mighty fallen? I could safely put my hand up my arse and say that is the worst record I've heard this century. Oh, and coincidentally, I believe Billy will be a guest on my friend Mike's show in a few minutes' time. Welcome back, Bill. So, Billy,
5: welcome back to the airwaves. New Christmas single, cover of "Love Is All Around."
1: Except we've changed the word love to Christmas.
5: Yes. Uh, Is that an important message to you, Bill?
1: Not really, Mike. Christmas is a time for people with someone they love in their lives.
5: And that's not you?
1: That's not me, Michael. When I was young and successful, I was greedy and foolish. And now I'm left with no one, wrinkled and alone.
5: (laughs) Wow. Uh, Thanks for that, Bill. For what? Well, for actually giving a real answer to a question. Doesn't often happen here. at. Radio Watford. I can tell
1: you. Ask me anything, you like I'll tell you the truth. The best shag you ever had, Britney Spears. Wow. No, any kidding? <laughs> she was rubbish.
5: Okay, um, here's one. How do you think the new record compares
1: to your old classic stuff? Oh come on, Mikey. You know as well as I do the record's crap. <laughs> But wouldn't it be great if number one this Christmas wasn't some smug teenager but an old ex-heroine addict searching for a comeback at any price? All those young popsters come Christmas Day, they'll be stretched out naked with a cute bird balancing on their balls. And I'll be stuck in some dingy flat with my manager Joe, ugliest man in the world. Fucking miserable because our fucking gamble didn't pay off. So, if you believe in Father Christmas, children, like your Uncle Billy does, buy my festering turd of the record and particularly enjoy the incredible crassness of the moment when we try to squeeze an extra syllable into the fourth line. <laughs> I think you're referring to, uh, if you really love Christmas...
5: Come on and let it snow. Ouch. So uh, here it is one more time, the dark horse for this year's Christmas number one. Christmas is all around. Thank you, Billy. After this, the news is the new prime minister in trouble already.
3: One of the working titles for the film was Love Actually is All Around, which is the takeoff of Love is All Around, which is the song. And they do have those words on the screen at the beginning, and then the extra ones fall off, leaving Love Actually. Right. I think it's better to have the shorter, cleaner title, although I have always thought it's a weird name for a movie. And then when you go back and watch it, which is this is the first time in 20 years, then you see that sentence, and then you're like, oh, okay, I know where Mm -hmm. it comes from. But yeah, just on its own, I'm kind of like, what is this title? Love Actually? Agreed. It's kind of strange. All right, I saved this one for last out of all the stories because it's, in many ways, the one that I think most people associate with this movie. It is not my favorite. I don't like it at all. And it's not just because of the modern, oh, this is problematic. I think it was weird even in 2003. I think it's weird also for the same reasons that I was just talking about with the Billy Max storyline, which is there's not enough there. So you're expected to do a lot of the work yourself to justify why Mark is acting like this, <laughs> because it's weird and creepy. Oh, right. Please stop doing this. Yeah. Okay, so Juliet, Peter, and Mark. Juliet is played by Kira Knightley. Peter is played by Chilwetio hmm another name that I always struggle with. Mark, played by Andrew Lincoln, who people would know from Walking Dead. I only know him from Walking Dead and It's this.
4: actually weird seeing him in this, because he just... I don't know. He has a completely different, like, rugged look and appearance in Walking Dead. Yeah. He just seems so clean cut, pretty boy in this. I didn't even know he was British. Yeah, same.
3: Their wedding, the one between Peter and Juliet, serves as the connective tissue for her. us seeing a lot of these characters interact earlier in the film. A deleted scene explained that Mark, the Andrew Lincoln character, is friends with Mia. And it is his gallery with all of the nude art that she rents from him to organize her company's Christmas party. Oh. In the scene, she announces her plans to start an affair with her married boss, Harry. When Mark discourages this, she suggests starting an affair with him instead, which he politely re- rejects.
4: Yeah, I, I don't get that. I don't get because what's he was wrong in with in love Mia. with Keira Knightley. Yeah, I know, but Kira Knightley is not available.
3: Yeah, but they wanted the audience to see
4: his level of. Yeah. That may have actually helped a little. Uh, I bit. I get why they do it in the movie. I'm just like, if you're the Mark character, maybe Mia is a better option. Well, once he puts
3: it out there with Juliet, and yeah, he's he's going. He for gets his now. mercy kiss. Then I would call Mia back. Yeah, the only remnant of this character connection that remains in the movie is during the party when Harry asks Mia if Mark is her boyfriend before taking her to dance, and Mia does say to Harry at one point about her friend, but you don't know who that is, and you do see. Mark later in that same place with the nude art. So you can put the pieces together, but that thing is missing itself. Juliet and Peter's wedding is videotaped by the best man Mark, where a surprise band plays the Beatles' All You Need Is Love as they walk out of
4: the church. I will say that is a fun set piece. You start questioning the wedding, you're like, how many of these people here were not invited? (laughs) Yeah, when they've noticed all these
3: uninvited people. Although the couple believe Mark dislikes Juliet, It is later revealed that he is actually in love with her. The idea for Mark's surprise of the band singing All You Need Is Love at the wedding came from Jim Henson's funeral, which writer and director Richard Curtis attended. Wow. Where all of the puppeteers brought their Muppets and sang a song. Yikes. Can you imagine being
4: at that? That would be surreal. Yeah, it really would. I can't really imagine being at that. No, I wonder what song they did. I just watched Muppet Family Christmas on VHS. Mm. It's
3: a yearly tradition now for me. I love it so much.
4: I might watch it tonight.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's only like 40 minutes. I did think that Knightley was overdoing it a bit much during the All You Need Is Love. She is like almost falling down with reactions. Well, yeah. All right. Could you please? (laughs) Where's she been? She's never in anything. It's a good question. She was a big star at one point. When Mark evades Juliet's request to see the video he shot at the wedding, she shows up at his flat. Juliet insists she wants them to be friends, but when she views the wedding video Mark recorded, she sees many extreme close ups of herself and few of Peter's face. She realizes Mark's true feelings towards her. After an uncomfortable silence, Mark blurts out
4: that he acts cold out of self preservation. Mm. Yeah, this is a hundred percent Creep City. And off pie. No, thanks.
2: Thank God. It would have broken my heart if you'd said yes.
6: All oh, right, Well, lucky you. Can I come in? Uh, yeah, well, I'm a bit busy, Well, but... I was
2: just passing and I thought we might check that video thing out. I thought I might be able to swap it for some pie or or maybe munchies.
6: Actually, I was being serious. I don't know where it is. I'll have a... poke around tonight, then...
2: can I say something? Yeah? I know you're Peter's best friend. And... I know you've never particularly warmed to me. don't... don't argue. We've never got friendly. But I just wanted to say I hope that can change. I'm nice. I really am, apart from my terrible taste in pie, and... It would be great if we could be friends.
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Doesn't mean we'll be able to find the video, though. I had a real search when you first called and couldn't find any trace of it, so...
2: There's one here that says, Peter and Juliet's wedding. Do you think we might be on the right track?
6: Oh, yeah, well... Wow. That... that could be it.
2: Do you mind if I just...
6: I've uh, probably taped over it. Almost everything is episodes of West. Wing on it now. Oh. Oh, bingo. That's lovely. <laughs> well done, you. Oh,
2: that's gorgeous. Oh, thank you so much, Mark. This is exactly what I was hoping for. You've stayed rather close, haven't you? <laughs> never talk to me. You always talk to Peter. You don't like me.
6: I hope it's useful. Don't show it around too much. It needs a bit of editing. Look, i got to get to a lunch. Early lunch. You can just show yourself out, can't you? It's a self-preservation thing, you see.
4: And you have to think that the only reason she doesn't freak out about this is, is because... because she's
3: a raging narcissist, and she saw that video and thought, yeah, this yeah. makes
4: sense. It should be <laughs> in my face the entire time. I was thinking because Mark is attractive.
3: Oh, yeah, if this was me or you, yeah. the police would have been called... <laughs> She would have. All of a
4: sudden, we'd be kicked out of a friendship. I knew would have Emptied an entire
3: <laughs> yeah. can of mace right into the eyes. <laughs> <ice. laughs> I do think she undersells it a little bit. I think there's a way to do this where it's not as creepy and it could be played off as flattering. Not the video. I'm saying him liking her. Right. Not the. You, yeah. I'm saying you get rid of the video. Yeah. There's a way to set this all up where you reveal it. I get that you got to get there fast. The movie's already two hours and 15 minutes. You can't be dragging this out, but I don't know. It comes off as a bit much. Even Andrew Lincoln himself thought that this character is a stalker. Yeah. It definitely was already weird in 2003, and now 20 years later, it's nuts. (laughs)
4: It hasn't aged well.
3: On Christmas Eve, Juliet answers the doorbell to find Mark carrying a boombox, playing a Christmas carol, and holding large cue cards. While Peter is inside watching television, Mark shows a message of his love to Juliet through the cue cards. As he walks away down the street, Juliet runs after, gives him a quick kiss, and returns inside. Mark walks away, uttering enough to imply he can be content as friends. Yeah, well, how long is that going to last? You can't just
4: turn it off. It's not like you can flip a switch. I know. You would think you'd have to separate yourself entirely from the situation. Or
3: at least for a while to try to
4: get yourself under
3: control. Spend (laughs) some time with Mia. Yeah. The cue cards are the thing that stand out the most. And under a different circumstance, I think you could do this in a movie and have it be the iconic thing and also not age in a weird way. Mm -hmm. Why not have it happen where it's not somebody who's your best friend's wife, and you're not just doing this out of the blue with no, I don't know, reciprocation yeah. whatsoever. I think this is one of the ones that just, it just doesn't work. Because Peter's never portrayed as a bad guy or anything. In fact, Peter's barely in it. So it's just a guy who likes a girl who is already married, but the guy that she's married to is his best friend. You really don't get any justification for being on- <laughs> Why we should like Mark. Mark's side. Yeah, yeah. I think normally when you set these movies up, you usually have to factor in the audience it's turning like, on your
4: character. Yeah, usually the guy that they're with is Bradley Cooper from Wedding Crashers. Yeah, you have
3: to try to goose
4: the... <laughs> you the,
3: the sack. <laughs> goose the stats a little bit, yeah. try to make the audience know that she should be with the other guy. One month later, all the characters are seen at Heathrow Airport. Billy's Christmas single has spurred a comeback. Juliet, Peter, and Mark meet Jamie and his bride, Aurelia, Karen and the kids greet Harry, but Karen's stilted reaction suggests they are struggling to move past his affair. Sam greets Joanna, who has returned from America, so I guess she came back. I don't even remember that. Did they show that? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So, see, it all worked out. Was she just going home for... Well, then his dad should have been like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Was she just leaving for a couple weeks?
4: (laughs) Yeah, it is played like she's going to be gone for a while. Daniel is joined by his new
3: girlfriend, Carol, and her son. Okay, yeah, I do remember seeing Claudia Schiffer again. For sure, yeah. Newlyweds John and Judy heading off to their honeymoon run into Tony, who is awaiting Colin's return from America. I know they originally wanted Colin to be decked out in Green Bay Packers gear, and they were told no. <laughs> the NFL is like, I don't know, they used to be like really stingy about that. Colin returns with Harriet, who is Shannon Elizabeth, and her sister, who's Denise Richards, they all meet Tony for the first time, and it seems like Tony's going to be able to hook up with the sister, Denise Richards. Is like, what
4: a dream life this has turned into. In British Two people's losers. minds, yeah.
3: every girl in America looks like the hottest girl ever. and yeah. You don't have to do anything. You just have to meet them, and they're <laughs> yours. <laughs> I wish I knew this power. Seriously. Natalie welcomes David back from his flight in view of the press, showing their relationship is now public. He also picks her up off the ground and says that she's heavy. In a playful way, but I was like, what the fuck? Enough with this. These scenes dissolve into footage of actual arrivals at Heathrow as the screen is divided into an increasing number of smaller segments that form the shape of a heart. Okay, so all of the stories are interlinked in some way, except for Billy Mack and his manager, but essentially he's always there on the radios and the TV. Yeah, He's true. like the ever-present force with that song john and judy work with tony who is best friends with colin who works for the catering company that serves the office where sarah carl mia and harry work mia is friends with mark who runs the art gallery where the christmas office party takes place mia also lives next door to natalie mark is in love with juliet and friends with peter the couple is friends with jamie and sarah Harry is married to Karen, who is friends with Daniel, and her brother is David, who works with Natalie. Harry and Karen's children, and thus David's niece and nephew, Natalie's siblings, and thus Mia's neighbors, and Carl's son are all schoolmates of Sam and Joanna. Daniel proclaims that his late wife was the only one for him unless Claudia Schiffer were to call him up, and then Carol is played by Claudia Schiffer. All of them cross paths at the airport at the end, I know that's a lot. It's less confusing if you watch it. (laughs) You just are like, oh, yeah, these are all people that know each other. The characters mostly come together. They don't really have a ton of scenes that mix the stories together. They have a few. Yeah. Karen and Harry sort of work their way into other people's stories a little bit. But for the most
4: part, they don't interact a ton. They just are all in each other's orbits kind of. I didn't say it as we were going through it, but I do find this to be a weird Liam Neeson performance. Yeah. Doesn't really seem like he's bringing a lot to it. (laughs)
3: You didn't like him just starting to cry out of the blue? Yeah. Cut were two brief scenes featuring the only gay love story in the film. In the first, Anne Reed as the headmistress of Karen's children's school is revealed going home to her terminally ill partner, Geraldine, played by Frances De La Tour. That would have been a bummer. In the second, while speaking at the Christmas concert, Karen acknowledges Geraldine's recent death. Curtis has said he regretted losing this storyline. So the more things change, the more they say the same. You know, of they course, were yep. too scared to acknowledge the existence of gay people in two thousand three, and yet people now are still trying to act like they're not real. But as I said, I think the movie's long enough. If uh, you were yeah. gonna put that in there, you might have to cut something else. In two thousand seventeen, Richard Curtis wrote a script for a red nose day that reunited a dozen characters and picked up their storylines fourteen years later. Filming began in February twenty seventeen and the short film was broadcast on BBC One in March of twenty seventeen. I haven't actually seen it, so I cannot comment on it. Folks, I think that'll do it for Love Actually. Yeah, so I think thank that's you enough. to Aaron. You guys are really testing us here with
4: these anthology type stories that are harder for us to do it's a tough one to do but I think it's a fun one to have in the catalog
3: yeah and I think a lot of people out there probably watch the same stuff every year at Christmas a lot of you may watch love actually but if you haven't seen it it might be a good one to add into the rotation or if it's one you haven't watched in a while like I said most of the stories are very entertaining I laughed a lot there's great stuff in it there's some emotion in it too I wish some of them would be a little bit more fleshed out because I think they're all pretty interesting ideas. There's a little bit of overlap. Like Colin Firth and Hugh Grant are kind of playing the same guy, but you know. Mhm. There are a lot of us out there. Who are that guy? <laughs> <laughs> He's the prime minister. He says something. He walks in the other room. Idiot. idiot. <laughs>
4: I can't believe how dumb he is (laughs) me when I interacted with like the gas station clerk at Sunoco on my way over here (laughs)
3: anyway let's get into our usual segments I don't have any recommendations but Matt I believe you do so we'll let you go with that
2: what are you doing? what?
3: What? Vincent stopped
5: making picks
2: well how am I going to know what movies to see?
5: We have a wide
4: variety of Gene picks.
1: Gene's trash.
4: I'm Gene. I'm going to recommend a movie streaming on Prime right now, directed by Emerald Fennell, who directed Promising Young Woman, which was a movie I was pretty lukewarm on. It's called Saltburn. It's making all sorts of waves on the internet right now.
3: Yeah, it's definitely got that reputation, I think mostly because of one scene, although maybe yeah. there's more. I've just really heard a lot about The One. The
4: One is definitely causing the most chatter but there's a couple I mean it's pretty crass and it's very sexually explicit movie if I talk about it in thirds the first third I loved this could be one of my favorite movies of the year second third of it I was like still in but it was losing me at parts but then the finale really kind of took me out of what I liked about the movie yeah so overall listen it's hard to look away <laughs> i appreciate the boldness but no, this uh, stars
3: are our, our guy from euphoria euphoria who's it, also in priscilla right
4: and it feels like it's of the euphoria culture
3: right and then barry kagan is that how you right say his name? yeah i um, can't remember that guy's name from euphoria he was he plays elvis in priscilla too right i don't i haven't seen it yet I really have just sort
4: of shit the bed as far as seeing anything yeah. new. Well, I thought you might have watched this just because it was on streaming.
3: I don't have Prime. At oh, the moment. that's right. Yeah. Yeah, we were going to see Poor Things, but we didn't yet. So we'll probably try to talk about that soon. But are we wrapped up here? Yeah, yeah. That's it. Saltburn, and Amazon Prime. It's making right. a lot of waves. It's probably on a lot of people's best of the year list.
4: Yeah, love it or hate
3: it, it's definitely worth a watch People were comparing it to the talented Mr. Ripley.
4: Yeah. Kind of meets euphoria.
1: (laughs) All right. All right. All right. You go ahead. You go ahead. You keep it secret. But you remember this when you control the mail, you control information.
3: Let's move on to email. We're going to do a short one from our old friend Luke following up about his listener request. Do enjoy us some Luke. I do think that there is a chance that I'm going to, at some point, botch this with the emails, and hopefully I don't skip yours, but if you have sent us in a longer-form email and I never read it or something happens, just follow up and remind me, because with these gaps in recording, sometimes things will get lost in the weeds. But Luke writes in, did the Speed Racer ep come in as the lowest-listened ep did it do numbers? It was a surprise hit, right? Catalyst for bigger and better things in the podcast world. <laughs> <laughs> LOL, Luke. I was always wondering if our listeners who do listener requests care about right. the download numbers for theirs. It's, I hope that people don't care about our download numbers in general. But
4: Well, Luke, I'll tell you this. It did better than uh, Dr. T and the Women. Yeah, probably. You've got that going for you.
3: <laughs> like uh, you're burying other listener requests. <laughs> No, I think even, who was that, L. Allen, I believe? Yeah, Big I think Al? So. Right, yeah, Big Al. Yeah, I think Big Al knows that Dr. T and the Woman wasn't a hugely popular uh, it's film. It's an obscure pick. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah, obviously, the more obscure the movies, the lower the downloads. I, think, I mean, Zach and I pick obscure movies that we know aren't going to get. Oh, yeah, we cause know. Just because we just want to do the app. So Right,
3: yeah. I don't I don't care how many the downloads are, really, at this point. What difference does it I make? I
4: mean, Speed Racer was a. It was a slow average.
3: build, but then we took a break because I got really sick, so- it actually did become kind of a an average to above average. Yeah, slightly above episodes. average, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Way to go, Luke. There's nothing we can guarantee. I can't guarantee how long we're going to record when you do a listen request. I know that that sticks in my head sometimes. I don't want people to think we're like half-assing it, but there really isn't that much thought into the lengths. It's just whatever happens, happens. And then I also know that the the download numbers or or what day we release them or whatever, but I think that people who pay for them just want to have them, right? Yeah. All that
4: other shit doesn't really matter. She's never seen a single Paul Walker movie? That's a huge oh-no-no. She also doesn't care about Blu-ray? She's a monster.
3: Just for a special post-Christmas, end-of-the-year physical media spotlight, one of my favorite movies a movie we covered in our very first Greatest October, one that's special to me because I don't really feel like a ton of people know about it. It's not a hugely popular mainstream film. Originally called della La Morte, De La ah. in America, Cemetery Man. This movie was out of print on DVD for years and never released on Blu-ray in America. Finally, Severin, as part of their Black Friday releases, did a Delamorte Delamore 4K which i have just got today i haven't even done anything with it other than open it and look at it but it's one of my favorites yeah it rules it's a very existential zombie yeah, gonna story say, very the weird the uh,
4: cerebral zombie movie
3: yeah where it just makes you
4: think of all different
3: kinds of things yeah. and really opens I your head
4: it has sort of like a like a Christopher Nolan ending <laughs> kind of yeah, yeah. I've never really seen anything like it. It's that is true. It's it's one of a kind. It's very weird. It stars Rupert
3: Everett of all people. I wouldn't necessarily recommend going back and listening to us covering it. Oh, but no, no, I, if you could get the chance. Hopefully, this means it'll be on streaming somewhere because I doubt it was even available to stream. So, if you get a chance, I would check out "Della Morte Della More, or "Cemetery Man." Is probably where you're going to find it under in an America. Anyway. Let's get into our listener request rundown. If you're not on this list, that means we're not planning on doing it, so if you've paid and are not on it, let us know. This is what's coming up so far next year. January, we're going to do another one from Aaron, plus one from Steven. February, Sarah and Chris S., March, Chris K., and Martha, April, Theodore, and Keith, May, Aaron, and RJ, July, Aaron, so far we just have one there. August is completely available. September, we have another one from Aaron, and then December is also completely available. However, if we get to the end of the year, the only ones that will be available will be one in August and one in December. It does not look like we're even going to come close to filling up the whole year, so some of these will get lopped off. All you need to know is the price will go up. Right now, it's $50 for a movie for up to two and a half hours, and then 75 for three hours, but then we're doing all $100 next year. That price goes into effect January 1st. If you have any questions about this or whatever... GreatestPod at com.
4: You can also find us on X. Although people sending emails are like, are we on the list of emails that you might be skipping?
3: <laughs> yes. At GreatestPod on X. If you'd like a free sticker, as always, let us know. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Give us a rating and review if you'd like. We'd love to see it. I've seen some new reviews lately. That's Thank true. you I, very much. I did see that, yeah. Anything else, Matt? No, no. This is... Quite enough. So this will conclude 2023. We will be back probably next week.
4: I guess we should say happy holidays to everyone. Yes, this
3: is a combination Christmas and New Year's episode. I know we really didn't do much for December this year as far as Christmas stuff,
4: but whatever. You got a lot in October.
3: Yeah. That's the real season for us. I figured Love Actually is a pretty good Christmas movie on its own, so this will just sort of cover all the bases. There you go. Come back strong in 2024. Thank you so much for all of your support this year. This has been probably the biggest and best year that we could have ever imagined. Absolutely. We'll see if we can top that next year. Not in episode numbers. Anyway, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon.
1: I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Christmas is all around And so the feeling grows It's written on the wind It's everywhere I go If you really love Christmas, come on, 'Cause
3: I remember my great-grandma died when I was, like, really young, and I just did not care.
0: <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I just, people had to explain
3: to me, like, why it's sad, what yeah. death is there. Like, it means you can never hang out with them again. And I was like, I don't fucking care. She wasn't that fucking cool, honestly. <laughs> yeah, she a never great talked gr- to yeah. me. Yeah.
6: In a wheelchair, I didn't fucking care. I know. <laughs>